What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov slash careers. Blog Talk Radio. Welcome, Truth Seekers. You're listening to A Measure of Truth on blogtalkradio.com, and I'm your host, Michael Fordham. If you just click the link on my webpage or you're listening on blogtalkradio.com or even the Blog Talk Radio player on my Facebook page and you want to call in live, look, we'd love to talk with you. So give us a call. The number is 347-326-9470. Oh, need a minute to get something to write with? But don't worry, I'll give the number again right after the commentary. Or if you like, you can Twitter me your questions and comments at twitter.com slash a measure of truth. Also, if you haven't yet, why don't you look me up on Facebook? I'm the Michael Fordham with a photo of me in studio, and you can always email me your questions and comments at a measure of truth at gmail.com. Look, we got a great show for you today. We'll be right back after this. Leanne Moonraven has fantasized about King Arthur and the magnificent Knights of the Round Table since she was just a small girl and has written fiction for almost as long as she could hold a pen. She did not take her writing seriously, however, until she enrolled in a creative writing course while attending college. 
Lianne's professor encouraged her to continue honing her talent as she felt she had a great gift for storytelling. Inspired by the great legends of King Arthur and authors such as Edgar Allan Poe, Bram Stoker, and Stephen King, as well as the brilliant Alfred Hitchcock, Leanne prefers weaving a story of history but mixed with a bit of classic horror and steamy romance as well. Leanne believes the combination makes for a deliciously different yet memorable tale. Leanne Moonraven, welcome to A Measure of Truth. Good evening, Michael, and thank you so much for having me. It's great to be here. How oh, are you? I'm great. I'm great. And um, it's just awesome having you on as well. Um, you know, uh, I first saw this book and um, we first connected. I-, I thought it was a great story as well because you put a spin on this King Arthur thing. But uh, wh- what is a black woman doing writing about King Arthur? What's that about? <laughs> You know, it's funny. I get that question so often, or when people see me, they're like, wow, you wrote that? Um, uh, You know, fiction has no color. Um, It's whoever picks up the pen and gets motivated to put the perfect story behind the perfect idea. And, you know, I was always fascinated with King Arthur and the Knights um, for as long as I can remember, ever since I was a little girl, you know, fantasizing about Lancelot and the Knights and all that. And for my birthday one year, my husband took me to Medieval Times, uh, which is a, um, you know, an actor jousting type performance that they do in a dinner theater. Mm -hmm. And I was captivated by the show and particularly the night that was, that we were sitting in his section And the showmanship and really the professionalism that went into the performance stuck with me for a long time. And so I'd known I'd wanted to write a King Arthur story, and then after seeing that performance and seeing that particular night kind of motivated me, and he actually became the character in the book. Hmm. Wow. I see. (laughs) Is that the picture on the cover as well? Um, actually, I don't know that person. That's a that's a um, stock photo. Yeah. But the book is dedicated to him because he really was the motivation for uh, the main character. And I really don't look at it as you know uh, me telling a story about white characters or black characters. Um, it's just a story of someone who may or may not have existed. Mm-hmm. Right. And the reason why I um. Ask that question, and most people are thinking this as well. Whenever you see a piece like that, you don't see many of us in that piece. And that's one of the reasons why I think it it just is one of those things that people key into. But And it's about a time as well where, um, you know, interestingly enough, not many of us have studied about, even though we go and watch the movies. But tell us a little bit about your research into um, what it took to be able to develop this story in this period. Well, you know, that's a really good question um, because we don't know the history, um, European history, and most black people in this country don't even know black American history. So, you know, the truth of the matter is just like there are black people all over the United States and all over the world, there were black people all over the world even back then. And if you remember a few years ago, Kevin Costner came out with a movie called Robin Hood. Mm-hmm. And Morgan Freeman was in that movie, um, mm-hmm. kind of played, ended up playing a sidekick. 
Well, there were plenty of black people back then, and they were known as Moors or Berber or whatever, and they Mm -hmm. migrated from North Africa or Arabia. And so we were scattered all throughout Europe, but we don't learn that part of our history. Um, So anyway, um, in 2005, um, Jerry Bruckheimer came out with a movie version of King Arthur, and um, a black director actually directed that movie, Antoine Fuqua, who is uh, Leela Rashawn's husband. And um, he also did A Man Apart with um, uh, Vin Diesel and, and uh, several other movies. And so I saw that version of the movie, and it really echoed out to me as to what the knights and what Arthur really went through. You know, it wasn't, you know, the knights in shining armor. These guys were grungy and dirty and, you know, they they fought really hard and they died even worse. So that particular version of the movie really stuck with me. And so even though it may not be what is historically accurate, the depiction of the characters is what attracted me the most to the story. And so my book is based more like on that movie version than it is on the Arthurian legends. Mm-hmm. And- Tell us a little bit more about your spin on it. How are some of the things different than what people might expect? Well, in in my book, first of all, there's no Guinevere. Um, Arthur has a complete, completely different love interest, and she is actually a descendant of a Berber. So you would say that Arthur's wife in this particular book is black. And um, she is, her parents were exiled from where they originated from in Gibraltar, and this gets back to uh, the research that I did. I had to figure out how I was going to tie some culture and color into this, so I had to uh, come up with a way that she and Arthur would meet up because he was more in Rome and uh, just south of Scotland towards Hadrian's Wall, which is in England, so I had to figure out how I was going to incorporate all of that, and so um, they, even though her parents were from Spain, they were exiled for religious reasons and uh, migrated to Rome seeking religious um, asylum. And it was during that time that she grew up in Rome that she meets Arthur, who was visiting there on military business. And it was more or less love at first sight. But we all know that doesn't really exist, and there's always some skeletons rattling around in our closets. So a few of hers come tumbling out. <laughs> okay, so you've bashed that fantasy. So uh-huh. back to real life, and so tell us um, a little bit about some of these twists and turns, and what made you decide also to um, sort of start in a different direction and continue and um, sort of veer off and create a whole new story, if you will. Um, well, some of the twists and turns include, like I said, this isn't really based on Arthurian legend, and if your listeners are familiar with the legends, there's no Morgana or anything like that. Mm-hmm. It's based more on um, how Arthur and Merlin, the the, um, the native Briton, align forces and overtake um, an, an invasion, and they have kept that alliance going now. And so now I join, I create the story from after uh, the Saxons have been conquered and how life is slowly getting back to normal in the fortress. 
But, of course, there is no normal, and uh, you have some people who just are resistant to peace. You have some who are resistant to change. And then, like I said, you have, your past has a way of catching up with you. And so the reader is taken on this uh, journey as they learn the characters. Book one is, is a lot about characterization. You get to know their personalities and, and that type of thing. And I also branched off from the legends in that I incorporated um, – some quite a bit of erotic pieces in there. This is not for junior reading. You know, there are heavy sex scenes in it and um, a bit of violence uh, in the back history, but um, it, it is completely different from the legends. Mm, okay. And um, so this story that you created, um, where did you get this idea from? You said you started off with um, the show that you went to. Did you ever have an opportunity to um, meet the um, the character that inspired you for this um, story? I did. Um, I actually, well, we were sitting in his section the evening that we went, and, uh, you know, they, they actually, during the performance, will take a carnation and kiss it and toss it off into the crowd. Well, um, I caught, he tossed it to me, actually, and I caught the carnation. And so afterwards, you can meet the actors. And I walked up to him and I met him, and, he, and that's how I found out his name was Matt. And so the the um, protagonist, uh, the antagonist in the book, his name is Matthias. And so mm-hmm. um, he really did play a, a heavy role. I didn't write um, him actually being quite as bad as he was, and so we went back to medieval times again, and they had actually rewritten the script. So the show was completely different. And the time that I went the second time, he was playing a bad guy. And mm. I thought, hmm, this will incorporate quite nicely into the story. <laughs> so um, we don't really know that he's bad uh, in the beginning, and, and I'm going to stop there. <laughs> ah, <laughs> almost gave up too much there. Okay. Yeah, I can't give up too much. Now, the other books in the series, um, are they all the same title? Um, no. Uh, the the first book, as we know, is is entitled The Broken Sword. And like mm-hmm. I said, this this story really um, is into characterization, introducing the characters, the setting, and all that. The second book, which is uh, scheduled to be out in October, is called Shields of Blood. And Shields of Blood, well, first of all, going back to the broken sword, Matthias is the broken sword. It's a metaphor. He is the broken sword. The second book is Shields of Blood, which in the second book is very um, plot-rich. And now that you know who everyone is, I can move on with the story and go into a deep story. And this is where research really, really did play an important part. I also was interested in bringing um, more Berber, more Moors into the story. And so we see a lot more of them. If you can imagine um, in The Mummy Returns, uh, they, they, the, the one guy that was uh, the Magi, uh, not a Magi, he was, uh, he was one of the bad guys that wore the red outfit. If you can picture him, um, that's what I'm dealing with in book two. And they are actually going to align with Arthur in the second book. He's going to need their uh, resources uh, to defeat a new enemy in the second book. And um, his shields of blood are actually his relatives and loved ones who are going to end up shielding him uh, in the second book. Mm. 
Wow. And um, tell us a, a little bit about, too, your um, Up Authors Award. Oh, I was floored by that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I was entered into a contest by Up Authors, and uh-huh. um, when I got notification that I had won first place in the be- best first chapter category, which was the toughest one of the competitions, um, I was just absolutely floored. I was so excited. There were a lot of naysayers in the beginning. They were um, There were a lot of people who said, you know, there's no market for this. There were a lot of people who said, you know, you're, you're a black woman. You're not going to sell this to the white audience um, or you're not going to sell it to the black audience. And um, there were a lot of naysayers. So when I actually got offered a publishing contract, and then I turned around and won an award two days after the book was published. It mm. it really brought validity to my project. It made me feel like, okay, it had gotten great reviews from friends and family and, you know, everyone else in, in my immediate circle. But to have validity outside of that was tremendous. Wow. That's awesome. And, you know, it's a 2012 award. When was it awarded? What month was that? Uh, just uh, what is this March? Yeah, I guess towards the end of last month. Oh, okay. very recent. Yeah, the wow. submissions went in at the end of the year, um, mm-hmm. and then the judging and awarding took place uh, in January, and I was notified in February. Now, when you um, and this was for um, the Broken Sword as well. Yes. Now. Um, how how were you able to go through the process of um, getting a publisher? Um, were you ever independent in this, or? Well, I wrote the book Broken Sword in 2007, and mm-hmm. I have been sitting on it um, for a long time. Because of the naysayers, I just said, "Well, you know, I'll self-publish it, and then we'll see what happens." But I was at a convention last year. Um, I believe it was Labor Day weekend last year I went to a conference and I just happened to be going past a, a, one of the tables there and make a long story short I, I met a woman who was a publisher and I also write paranormal romance under a different pen name and I sold I was verbally selling a project that I was writing under the other pen name to her so she read that Story that I sent to her when I got back home, and she really liked it, and she wanted to go ahead and sign me up. Well, in the sign-up process, I said to her, I have another project that I've been sitting on for a long time, and I would like for you to read it and just give me your thoughts on it if you think, you know, it'll make it. And so I sent her The Broken Sword, and she loved it so much that we just took that project and ran and haven't even revisited the paranormal stuff. So... I got really lucky um, in that aspect. I had only submitted the story to maybe one or two other publishers who, I mean, it did get rejected, but um, I didn't, I haven't gone through the long suffering that I know so many other authors have. Yeah. And so what are the awards nowadays or rewards from going ahead and deciding to go with a publisher as opposed to um, the route you were going to take being self-publishing and being an independent? Well, I think um, I think that being published by a publisher has taught me a lot that I would maybe not have had the luxury 
of learning under shelter had I become self-published. Mm-hmm. In other words, I've been able to sit back and, and sit back and absorb information instead of trial and error, learning it myself. Right. Um, I'm still not sold on publishing. I, I mean, I really advocate for for self-publishers. Um, and who knows? Uh, I may my next project. I may go ahead and self-publish. I haven't decided yet. Mm, okay. Wow. Yeah. Um, yeah. We're going to get to that in a bit, I guess. Um, we'll talk a little bit about some of those trials and tribulations. And um, mm-hmm. but we want to go ahead and, um, you know, when I saw the YouTube video, I almost thought to myself, "Oh, okay. Is this also being made into a film? Uh, have you thought about this being a screenplay?" <laughs> Every day of my life, <laughs> every waking moment. <laughs> oh wow! <laughs> and thank you. I actually did that movie video myself, and I cre- I mm-hmm. did my own book cover too. So I'm pretty proud of those. And um, you know, to see the broken sword on the big screen with just oh my gosh, I, I can't. I don't even have the words for that. Wow. Well, tell us a little bit about the success of the book and, and how has it been selling, and uh, since you've actually put it out there. Well, um, you know, word of mouth is is your best customer usually, and mm-hmm. um, it is gaining momentum. Sales are good. Um, <clears throat> I did have some issues uh, in production that we had to take it down for a couple of days off of uh, Amazon uh, because there were some production errors on the cover. Mm. So we had to take it down for a couple of days, and they fixed those, and now it's back up. Wow. So it's it. I lost a couple of days there of sales, but um, yeah. you know I'm going the, the regular route with the Google ads and the Facebook ads and mm-hmm. um, you know other promotional materials and just out there marketing as much as I can. Wow, have you hired a social media marketing person? No, I haven't. Oh wow, yeah. Other yeah. than my teenage daughter, since that's wow. what she does all day, <laughs> right. sit there in front of the computer. Yeah. 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 But I guess it's something to consider as well. And um, I I know a few people that that might uh, be worth you talking to and uh, I'll be sure to connect you with them as well. Because I love um, networking. It's wonderful. Yeah. And traditional advertising just does not have the kick that it did before unless it's working hand in hand with social media. So, um, you know, you really have to look at what you're investing in nowadays and, and look at its true impact and um, figure out whether or not you're getting the, the bang for the buck that you're looking for. So, Well, but, I would uh, love to get that information, and but I'm also a grassroots person. Um, mm-hmm. I plan on buying a couple of cases of the books myself and putting them in the trunk of my car and hitting these craft shows. And, right. you know, I have no shame. I'll I'll stand out on the corner and raise the book. Whatever it takes. Yeah, you know, and it's a whole new game out there because, you know, even what you said with being able to take the book down off of Amazon for a while. So you didn't have a bunch of printed copies that you had to change as well, or did you? No, it was print on demand on Amazon. And fortunately, it was caught very early after release. Mm -hmm. And so we were able to take it down before any more copies were ordered. So if you have Mm -hmm. one of the copies with the typos on the back cover, you have an original. You hold on to that. It might be worth some money one day. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yeah. And um, the, the great thing about today's technology as well is because, um, 
even if you're looking to self-publish, there's a number of different ways you can do that on the internet. But of course, Amazon, you know, being on Amazon is uh, is a bonus as well, and um, some other um, outlets out there. And you know, it's it's a, something that I've seen, and I knew it was coming because I would go to the library. And um, hardly would see anyone reading books, but everyone was on their computers. And, mm-hmm. you know, next thing you know, bookstores started closing all over the place. So it right. is a different time. And um, I think and that libraries people... are becoming very active in ebook lending. Oh. And so now authors have the ability to get their books into the library system, which that is new and it's wonderful. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, and, you know, that's something I had tried to do a few years ago when I first started this, is to request books uh, of the authors that I've had on the show, because mm-hmm. that was the only way you could get them in, is if somebody had requested it. So um, once they get, uh, they have a threshold, and once they have over that threshold of request, then they will go ahead and um, order that book. But, mm-hmm. yeah, you're talking about something now that gives the author a lot more control and um, helping to be able to distribute their content. So that's awesome stuff. Right. And, you know, there's um, there's also the ability on Amazon, uh, they've created this program called KDP Select. And what it allows the author to do is to discount their book and give it away for free for, I believe, a period of five five to seven days. And, mm. and then um, that draws attention to the book, and it also drives up sales. The only problem with that is when you join the program and you opt in for that, your book is not available through any other distribution outlet for 30 days. Oh. So you have to really consider uh, if you want to do that or not. And, you know, I I know authors, as a matter of fact, I was texting with one earlier today. Okay, um, hold on he, for one second. I'm going to just be sure that I understand clearly what you said. The okay. discounted version will be available for three to five days, but you would not be able to sell it through any other venue for 30 days. Is that correct? Right. right. Wow. Yeah. Okay. You have to be really careful um, in making that decision. Um, but from what I understand from, from colleagues, is uh, it, it really has enhanced their book sales. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't quite figure out why. Um, I, I, I really need someone to explain how that really benefits them. But like Generally, said, though, when they run a program people. like that as well, because I've done that, is when a book is discounted, there's generally people who have an account with Amazon will receive also alerts for things like that. And um, through that distribution process, it may be another way that people who are looking for um, digital media at uh, a bargain will go there and check it daily, you know, if not at least once a week to be able to find out what's there that they can get at a discount. Well, I just can't wrap my head around giving away stuff for free. I mean, um, do you have to give it away, or can you reduce the price as well? Because I've gotten some books just recently from Amazon that would just reduce for a short period of time. Right, ninety nine cents, and and that's that really is a thing. I, like I said, I no, need to. Really they weren't ninety nine cents. <laughs> they were. I'm they sorry? were two. They were two ninety nine. <laughs> oh well, well, uh, the colleagues that I know that have gone into the program have done it for ninety nine cents. Oh. You're able to, I guess, maybe discount it to what you want. But yeah, these are ninety nine cents. 
Yeah. And when you look at digital copy, you know, copies, you're not really losing much. I mean, it is your your content. But, you know, word of mouth, you need people to read it and then talk about it. And that's the most important thing. So um, this is what you have to do as an artist of any type. You really just have to be able to find a way first to share for people to um, understand what you've got to offer. And then you just you know, continue to um, write something for that genre and continue to pull those listeners in. And it's over. It really is a learning process. It, it mm-hmm. really, really is. And what I've done is surrounded myself with more experienced authors, people who've mm-hmm. been doing this for a long time. Um, one friend of mine, she literally is a pioneer for self-publishing. She self-published mm-hmm. back when we didn't even know what that was. Right. And, um, who are you talking about? Learning from them that as my mentors have been really, really helpful. Yeah. Who was that that you were talking about? Cherise Hodges. I have got to give her a plug because she's an awesome individual. Um, she self-published, I know, at least 10 years ago, at least. Oh, wow. Hmm. And um, I bought her first book, Searching Paradise, and she and I are still friends today. And she is a writing Fiend. That woman I know must have 20 books published, and she's all of, well, most of them were self published, I believe. Mm-hmm. But she has been a wealth of information to me. I can always go to her with a question. Um, I also have um, other uh, colleagues, Nikki Brooks and uh, Kaya Henderson and Carl Jones, who I just recently met. He's a Briton, and he really helps me a lot when I have questions about. British culture or landscaping, if I need to get the knights from point A to point B, you know, I, I send them a message and ask them how to do it. And um, uh, Michelle Hughes, these people are open with information and willingness to help. And so um, I really appreciate them. If it weren't for them, I'm sure I would have learned a lot of things the hard way. Right, right. And, and really, that's what networking is all about, is being able to talk to someone who's been there before you to avoid um, some making some of the mistakes and wasting the time it takes to gain that knowledge. And that's the most important thing, you know. Well, what I found out in this, in this industry is that um, we are a really close-knit community, even though there are millions of writers out there. And it's unlike other industries where everything so competitive, I don't feel that competition with my fellow authors. We're all Mm. in it together, and there seems to be enough room at the top for all of us. And I've never met anyone so far, knock on wood, that has been reticent in coming forth with information. Uh, Everyone has been extremely helpful. Mm, That's awesome. That's awesome. You know, we're going to take a quick break, and we'll come back right after this, and we'll speak with Leanne Moonraven. Hi, I'm Michael Fordham, host of A Measure of Truth on blogtalkradio.com. I want to take a quick minute to talk to you about Young Lives DC 34. Young Lives is a unique, cutting-edge, nonprofit Christian organization designed to empower and equip pregnant and parenting teen moms to become productive citizens in the community a program that partners teens and mature Christian women to provide teen girls in crisis with timely encouragement, guidance, and ongoing support. Through the power of presence, kids' and teens' lives are dramatically impacted when caring adults come alongside them, sharing God's love. Because someone believes in them, they begin to see that their lives have great worth, meaning, and purpose. 
This is just the first step in a lifelong journey. The choices they make today based on God's love for them will impact their future decisions, the careers they choose, the marriages they form, and the families they raise. And all of this can be traced back to the time when a young life leader reached out and entered their world. For more information or to get involved, check out their webpage at www.younglives.younglife.org. Or if you're in the D.C. metropolitan area, call 202-399-7017. Welcome back, Truth Seekers. You're listening to A Measure of Truth on blogtalkradio.com. And we're talking with Leanne Moonraven about her book, Broken Sword. Leanne, welcome back. Thank you very much. I'm glad to be here. (laughs) Now, we've... um, been going over sort of the process as well, and we've talked a little bit about your book and about your research. Now we want to go into a little bit about what's next for you. I mean, you, you say you've got another book coming up in release, and, and you've got some interest in possibly writing a screenplay. Have you made any connections in that realm yet? I actually do have um, quite a bit of connection in the film industry, but um, I haven't moved forward with it yet. I'm really not sure how to do that. Um, I think I'll probably concentrate on that more once the screenplay is written. Mm-hmm. And I am looking for a good screenwriter. Right, right. You know, I think what you ought to do is take some small portions of this and um, try to make them into just short YouTube video teasers with some actors and maybe build upon that. But um, Well, it's funny that you should say that because in um, some of the book signings that I'm going to do around town, I have brought on a couple of actors who are going to dress up in medieval attire. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, they're going to go to the book signings with me. And um, actually, maybe I could talk them into doing the video, too. Yeah, even some of the people that you've seen at the um, the event that first gave you the idea. Who knows? Exactly. That's a good idea. There yeah. were quite a few there. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, it's funny because this area, um, when they have the festivals, I, I had a friend of mine who used to, you know, he used to do something with swords, and he would do the fighting and all of that, and he was really into it. I mean, mm-hmm. that was his thing. And um, there are a lot of folks here that are doing that festival. I mean, they practice all year for that, and they play these roles. It would be great to be able to utilize some of those folks and to be able to put what they do on film as well. Yeah, so um, it would well, be I'm, interesting. I'm... I'm actually hoping to do a book launch party that will mm-hmm. be medieval, medieval themed. And, you know, what a lot of people don't know, I'm from Washington, D.C. I was born and raised. I grew up in PG County, mm-hmm. um, and I live in Charles County now. But um, the the Maryland State sport is jousting. Did you know that? Yeah, I did know that, as a matter of fact. That's pretty cool. (laughs) And I found out that Ritter, my last name, which is my husband's last name, means knight in German. So I think I was just destined to do this. What do you think? Ah, yeah, well, there you go. (laughs) You're doing so. (laughs) But you asked me what I was going to – the last thing I want to do, though, is become pigeonholed. I mean, I think a lot of authors, like I was talking with one reader. She's an avid reader. Mm-hmm. She was saying she just read uh, this woman's series, and she had 28 books in her series. Oh. Well, you know, I don't want to write 28 books about Arthur. Right. right. So, um, but I do like the historical fiction genre that I have found myself in. 
Mm-hmm. So my next project after book two of the Broken Sword series, actually it's the Lady Castus series, um, I, I met author Brandon Massey. And uh, Brandon is an author of horror, and he's very, very good. And we had a long talk about, you know, there aren't many black authors in horror and that type of thing. And he was glad to see um, black writers branching out into different genres. And the next project that I plan to work on is going to be a spinoff of the Salem Witch Trials. It's going to be based on the Salem Witch Trials. There was a black witch named Tituba um, during the Salem Witch Trials, and actually she was the reason that the trials actually, you know, took place. She was accused of witchcraft, and she accused two or three other women in the community of being witches. And that's what brought the whole, you know, brimstone and fire down on the town of Salem. So in the book that I'm working on, which is not yet titled, um, one of the descendants of Tutuba, it's a modern-day story, but one of the descendants of Tutuba is now being haunted by some people that the readers will recognize uh, from the witch trials. And so that whole story on how that happened and how it's dealt with will be in the horror book. So I kind of like dealing with the historical fiction uh, from a dark side, though. Mm-hmm. Okay. I've even thought about doing an Amish story. Oh, really? Wow. Yeah, with some dark stuff. I don't know. <laughs> that was way in the back, though. <laughs> so do you have any, like, book signings coming up, um, any events that we can um, tell people about that will be upcoming when they get a chance to actually get a signed copy of your book and meet you and not yet, but if they go to www.leannemoonraven.com, uh, that will be updated regularly, and they'll be able to find out there. Okay, awesome. We're going to take another quick break, and we'll be right back after this. Hi, I'm Michael Fordham, host of A Measure of Truth on blogtalkradio.com. And I want to take a moment to talk to you about a heinous crime against humanity that plagues our nation, and yes, believe it or not, communities just like yours. Here's something you can do today to lend your support in the fight against human trafficking, also known as modern slavery. For example, Tanya was only 11 when she was forced to use her body for her own survival and the perverse desires of others. Now 18, Tanya knows no other life. She can't even remember when she was able to choose how she wanted to dress. Tanya dreams of being a teacher one day, And with the help of Bridge to Freedom programs and your support, they can empower her and others like her to move from surviving to thriving. You can make a huge difference in the life of a survivor this year through your support and donations to Bridge to Freedom Foundation. Bridge to Freedom is a nonprofit organization that provides aid to survivors of slavery who now live in the U.S., such as former child soldiers and victims of sex trafficking and forced labor. The cornerstone of Bridge to Freedom's work is personal and professional development to help survivors adapt and thrive in their new lives and communities and find work to support themselves. The Bridge to Freedom Foundation needs your support to help people just like Tanya. They need your urgent action to ensure that they can continue to provide clothing and health and beauty services to these survivors. These are not only important for rebuilding self-esteem, but are crucial to finding employment. 
They're also in great need of storage containers and clothing racks to organize and store donations. While donations of needed items are vital, one sure thing that will help to stop the spread of this injustice and prevent it from thriving undetected is educating yourselves about human trafficking or slavery and knowing the signs and the proper authorities to contact if you become aware of a victim in crisis. Find out more at bridgetofreedomfoundation.org or if you have a reason to suspect that someone may be a victim of human trafficking, please call the National Human Trafficking Resource Center hotline on 1-888-373-7888. Multilingual call specialists are on standby 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. All calls are confidential. Okay, and we're back. Um, I just had to make sure we got at least two of those in. Um, I've been, you know, really focused on these nonprofits because around this time of year is when they are really looking for funding and money. So I just wanted to make sure they get a good start this year as well. And um, tell us a little bit also um, where you're going to be um, connecting with um, – me again in the near future, and I want to be able to talk with you about um, um, some further shows down the road. Um, are there other interests that you have other than um, the current book that you're working on, the one that you spoke about? Um, any other current interest? Yeah, yeah. Is this your first book, The um, Broken yes, Sword? Right, yeah. right. And you said you wanted to not get yourself too pigeonholed, and you did talk about right. your other project. But um, first of all, I guess you have to really know when to break away when you've got your listeners. You have to sort of spin off and do something that's similar. But um, we've seen that um, some of the um, films that have done series as well have done very well. And I think after um, you've done a few of these books, maybe um, the film project might be the way to go if you could focus on that. What do you think? Um, I, I think that is probably the direction I will go in. However, um, I do have another side project that I haven't really moved forward with yet, and that is a series of children's books centered around King Arthur and the Knights. And oh. that came up, um, you know, I read bedtime stories to my daughter every night, and mm -hmm. I got tired of reading the same stories, and she got tired of listening to the same stories. So one night I said, well, I'm going to make up a story and tell it to you. And I ended up telling her a story about um, a, a young maiden who lived off in on a farm somewhere with her cows, and she'd heard stories about King Arthur and the knights. And so um, she decided that she was going to reward the knights for a job well done, and she made her way to Camelot, and she gave them – they all gathered around the round table for, uh, for their present, and she reached in her back, basket, and she had – made cookies and milk for the King Arthur and the Knights. And they loved the cookies and milk so much, you know, they asked her to come live in Camelot with them, and she would be the head baker and make them cookies and milk. So um, she loved the story, and I ended up telling her that story over and over and over again. And so I started incorporating some stories that were actual legend stories, um, uh, Gawain and the Green Knight and the Lady in the Lake, and I started making up children's stories based around the legends. And so mm -hmm. the Camelot kids were born. Oh, so, um, nice. I need an illustrator, and once I get that, I plan on publishing some of the children's stories of King Arthur. Yeah, and what I was trying to work my way through and clumsily sort of setting you up for this and trying to 
help you to go in the direction that I was looking for is I, I'm opening a studio in Washington, D.C., mm-hmm. um, a public studio. Now, um, it will be sort of like public broadcasting, but this will just be for people who are actually um, producing content for the web, whether it be for YouTube or Blip.TV or Blog Talk Radio. There will be studios there for people um, who are even just photographers or graphic artists or whatever your talent is, you'll be able to come there if you don't have a workspace of your own or if you need to connect with people that could be potential clients as well as people who could possibly um, help you with your projects as well. So, um, you know, I, I think that um, some of the things that you're working on, it might be a good test for some of the um, facilities that uh, I'm sort of trying to put together. Um, there'll be a studio with green screen. And I don't know if you're familiar with how they work, but with a green Absolutely. screen, you can produce any type of um, background that you'd like. And um, some of the things that you've talked about got the wheels turning with some of these actors who already have the costumes. And once you can produce any type of backdrop you need, um, you can put them in any time or any place in the world. So it would be interesting to see if we could develop um, a project with some of these short stories to be able to maybe even just promote the book. But who knows, from there it might be able to stem out into something that's um, a lot more permanent and a finished project that might be something that um, could be an ongoing thing. That sounds fantastic. And um, my when I went through college the first time, um, my major was radio, television, and film. I had aspirations to be a film producer, but that was back before Oprah was around, who opened a lot of doors for black women uh, in the media. And um, I was taking a film editing class, and I was I was 18, I believe, at the time, and I went to the chairman because I was having uh, problems with one of um, one of my projects. And uh, as he helped me with the project, he said to me, uh, you know, you might as well change your major because you have two strikes against you. You're black and you're female. You know you're not going to make it in this industry, right? And being 18 and impressionable, uh, he stole my dream. And mm. that eventually led me to quit school. Uh, not just change my major, but quit school. He totally uh, robbed me of my my excitement over what I was doing. Mm-hmm. So I feel uh, now, some odd years later, I won't tell you how many, but some odd years later, um, I feel like I've come full circle and that technology now has caught up with the talent that I had even back then. So to be able to get in on a project like that would just be wonderful. And like I said, would have me come completely full circle. So I would definitely be interested in doing something like that. Yeah, yeah. And, um, you know, people who write creatively, I mean, (laughs) you can fit into so many different circles, you know, and that talent is just, you know, it's multifaceted. You can just use it to um, entertain in so many different ways, entertain, educate, or, you know, promote So, yeah, looking forward to talking with you about that. And um, the more I hear about your interest in it and what you're doing, too, will help solidify some of the ideas that I have that could help. Good. Yeah. Sounds good. Yeah. All right. Well, you know, this has been... This has been very interesting. (laughs) Yes, it has. We look forward to having you on again and, um, you know, maybe possibly even... um, calling in when we have another author on as well and uh, maybe 
and we'll get to the point. We always want to talk about what is the, the back end of publishing and things like that. And maybe you hear something you might be able to contribute as well. So okay. just keep the number. I would love to. <laughs> All right. Well, um, Leanne Moonraven. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah we, we look forward to hearing from you again and we wish you much more success and um you know if there's anything we can do to help be sure to uh, give a call and let us know. Thank you very much Michael for having me on. It was uh an honor and a privilege to be here and I just want to let anyone know if they want to keep up with what's going on and what I'm doing they may do so at www.leannemoonraven.com. And I'm also on Facebook. That's right. And Twitter. Give them your Twitter name as well. Uh, It's the at sign, Leanne Moonraven. Okay. Awesome. All right, Leanne, we'll talk with you later, and thank you again for coming on board. Okay. Thank you so much for having me, and good luck to you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Mercy, mercy me Things ain't what they used to be, no Things ain't what they used to be We, we, us, that's you and me We have got to be different We can't stay the same We have got to enlighten Every member of the game In this game of life there's too much strife, there's too much hurt, there's too much hate. Everyone's perceptions cloud the debate. Right and wrong, wrong and right. Where is our fight? I say, let there be light. Truth first starts the healing of our pain. For us he was slain. Ain't no time to be lame, it's time to reclaim, rebirth and rename the game. I came to proclaim through enlightenment, and that's the only reason why I was sent and rest no more, no lies to adorn. We have to teach the kids all the reasons why. We have to teach the kids not to fall but to fly there, killing each other, incarcerated, following the lie. Mindlessly indoctrinated Why oh why could Willing it to be the reason His ways still pleasing His grave His legacy still breathing Our minds Think about it if you will The process of thinking He did kill as he Set up for generation after generation It's still clear that We haven't recovered Shackle in the mind My people Shackle in the mind It's time for a revolution You see I think that a revolution is the only solution to this here pollution of the mind. A revolutionary method to unwash the brain, to cleanse the stain. The revolution is the truth. We must speak the truth and live the truth. A revolutionary method to rid us of corruption, destruction. We can't stop talking about it until our people, our children are thinking about it. Thinking, thinking it all, thinking it all. Uh, 
up against the wall, my arms and legs spread tall. Y'all, can't you see the state of mind of the majority are the educated in the African-American community, the majority are the enlightened in the African-American community, the majority are the responsible men in the African-American community, the majority is spirituality, the majority of our youth. If you can't say yes, then it's time to be set free. Mercy, mercy me, things ain't what they used to be. Now the radio sings the sound of fornication bound, the sound of Sodom and Gomorrah bound. Explicit lyrics of lust, lust, lust. It's okay to sing about where to lick me, where to stick me. In our society, the adults they let it be. Mercy, mercy me, for the children to see. In our society, right is wrong and wrong is right. That's the song they sing with all their might. Sober is wrong and DUI is right. That's the tune. They chant with all their might. Crystal to drink, that's all they think. And that dances their mind sink. Adorning nothing but a mink. Drink, 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 whore. Babylon does wink. Our society does sink into a pit of death. It stinks. When will we stop to think, think, think? But that's what they said about rock and roll. 103.9, this Jackie told. That's what replied half past nine to the sound of my words. Freedom of speech is what they say. Freedom to destroy the mores of yesterday. Well, uh, this is what I have to say. This is what I have to say, y'all. How far are we? How far are we willing to go? How much are we willing to show? Slippery slope, this is slippery slope. Act like we know, no righteousness we glow. I ain't willing to go on the side of nigga more show. Does anything go? Does anything go? Does anything go? Don't say no till you open your eyes. Take a look at your world. Anything goes on the radio, practically anything goes on that videos, anything goes on those reality shows, violence cries, the video game woes, and that's why our children don't grow. Anything goes in a political game show, still the presidency is just what we know. Contradictions, truth, derelictions, responsibility and remission, it's all fiction, it's a lie. Mercy, mercy me, things ain't what they seem to be, no, if we don't grab the mic, make a plan, take a stand, this land will stand in the shoes of S and G, can't you see that's the prophecy, getting ourselves right with God, it's the only possibility of being free for eternity, if things ain't what they used to be then, when Marvin Gaye sang it, and things ain't what they used to be now, then we need to be on the ground, prostrate, let's debate what we create, what we delegate to our youth, how we relate to the truth, our walk, and our gate, let's get it straight, before it's too late. Mercy, mercy,
It's dedicated to the women, man. The first black woman in Congress, Shirley Chisholm, man. Unbought, unbossed, that's how she got it in. One nine seven two, she even ran for president. The ninety first Congress in sixty nine. New York's twelfth district, ahead of a time, ahead of a line. What next? Less acknowledge Barbara Shore and out of Houston, Texas. It's just courage with the power that describes the soul. I'm so elected to the House of Representatives in seventy two. Yvonne Burke was elected in that same year, and before that. She has served as the vice chair uh, of the Democratic National Convention. Yeah. I can't forget to mention a Chicago politician. But uh, each college here served 23, the most powerful black woman in Congress history. Uh, I feel you give my sisters. Black women in Congress stand up. Black women in the Senate, we salute. All women in politics stand up. Without God, it could be no us, and we salute. We pay homage to MLK. But if not for Katie Hart, it wouldn't be a king holiday. And Maxine Waters, the voice of South Central. She combated the races, defending black people. A soldier fighting at a quality war. Shining light on a dark party, wanna ignore. She was elected into Congress in 91. Well supported by the hood, and she looked out for the young. A black queen and a force in a political game. We like dreams, so searching for a spiritual change. Gotta know about about the woman representing the pain Like Barbara Rose Collins pointing out the black male strain uh-huh. I feel you get my sisters Black women in Congress stand up Black women in the Senate we salute All women in politics stand up Without God, it could be no us. So 1992 was the year of the woman uh-huh. doing a lot of things a lot of men thought they couldn't. Uh-huh. It was Maxine Waters yep. and Barbara Rose Collins and the delegate Eleanor Holmes Norton. Uh-huh. Three black women then elected to Congress. A lot of hating going on, but nobody nah. can stop this uh-huh. powerful black movement. Uh-huh. They are not finished. Uh-huh. Cal Mosley Brown was elected to the Senate. Yeah. The first black woman to do that. Inspiring a whole generation uh-huh. of the young uh-huh. women who uh-huh. lack role uh-huh. models. Now we got a better tomorrow. Yep. Plus the list grew in the years that followed. It was Corbin Brown and Carrie Mitch, Cynthia Ann McKinney, Sheila Jackson Lee, and Eva Clayton and Eddie Bernice Johnson. Black women elected to the House of Congress. I feel you get my sisters. Black women in Congress stand up. Black women in the Senate, we salute. All women in politics stand up. Without God, there could be no us, and we salute.
you know, the time has come for us to learn to analyze and scrutinize the things that we have conveniently come to believe is factual through repetition from what is actually the real truth. We have somehow been led to slaughter by our refusing to ask the questions that would hopefully make sense of the rhetoric, if indeed the rhetoric made any sense at all. We have our suspicions for good reason. But so often we find it much easier to go along, to get along, rather than ask the questions that would lead us to the truth. Have we grown so accustomed to being lied to that the lie has become the thing that we desire? Have we lost our taste over the years for what is real and factual because we would rather be entertained than informed? How is it that we would rather focus on one tiny fragment of the aftermath than the root the source, and the cause. What then stops us from opening the debate that would bring about the key changes needed to break the cycle of injustice? Have we been made to feel powerless, or are we just unconcerned? What will it take to wake up America? In this age of information technology, there is more usable, factual resources available to the average individual through the Internet than ever before in the history of mankind. But we still choose to be spoon-fed rather than research, debate, and digest the truth for ourselves. Now we find that we're so brainwashed that our attention now locksteps to the next scandalous, exaggerated, emotion-driven headline, while the truth sits unnoticed in plain sight. Yet another day. Well, I for one will not be a part of this brainwashing of the masses, this decline in intellect, this surrender of conscience. So where do you stand in the scheme of things? Free thinker with a mind set to seek out and devour the truth? Or just another cog in the wheel of blind complacency? Well, of course, the choice is yours. But as for me, no matter how much garbage you try to heap in my direction, I will always maintain a healthy appetite for a measure of truth. I'm Michael Forderman. You've been listening to A Measure of Truth on blogtalkradio.com. But before you go, here's a little something to take with you. Ask God for wisdom daily. But know that your lesson can come from anybody or any situation, good or bad, friend or foe. Watch your thoughts. They become words. And watch your words. They become actions. And watch your actions. They become habits. And watch your habits. They become your character. And watch your character. It becomes your destiny. Until we meet again, take care of what becomes of you. <laughs>